This is WFG Insights, your download on the real estate market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending, keeping you informed and ahead of the market. In this episode, we welcome back WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone for a look back at the past year, direction on interest rates, and a forecast for the year ahead. Well, Patrick, thanks for joining us. Let's hit the latest news first. The November job numbers were a little disappointing. The forecast for 546,000 jobs came in about uh, 210,000. That said, you know they had revised the September and October numbers upward. Unemployment number at 4.6% down to 4.2%. What's your read on this? Is the, the lower headline number a result of maybe a, a tight labor market right now? Yeah, I think it's very, very difficult to apply standard analytics uh, to the current market. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of people who are reassessing what they want to do with their lives and how they want to spend their time, how they want to be employed, where they want to live, all these sort of things. So this is impacting the size of the labor force. And uh, we are, I think the unemployment rate is very good for where we are considering what we went through. So I'm not overly alarmed by this at all. So kind of to follow up our last conversation, then maybe just kind of the kind of the fluctuations and the ups and downs we're still seeing here as we come out of come through the pandemic, right? I think trying to apply standard economic analytics to the current situation is very, very difficult and probably an error. I, I, I wouldn't recommend making judgments based on past economic trends or using those statistics and applying them to this market. We've got to recover to the point where we're functioning at a normal level, then we can assess whether or not the statistics are valid. 4.2% unemployment rate right now is not bad at all, considering what we went through. Okay. Now, Fed Chairman Powell said he'd like to retire the word transitory, <laughs> which may equate to uh, an admission that they've been wrong on the inflation piece here. It's not a short-term thing, however you define it. It's with us, as you've said, for a couple years. Um, he also floated the idea of tapering bond buying a little sooner, which could open the door for some interest rate hikes here sooner as well. Now, what's your take on this? Do you think we'll see higher rates sooner maybe than we expected the past few months? I don't. Candidly, I think transitory still applies, but transitory is interpreted as being short term. I think two years uh, is very transitory. And uh, I do think we will work our way through the inflation uh, surge over the next two years. I mean, this inflation is being caused principally by a focus on goods. Uh, The supply chain caused the focus on goods to be unfulfilled, which uh, raised prices. Uh, then we have a disproportionate amount of money chasing goods versus services. Now, the government was very, very aggressive in fighting this uh, pandemic-induced recession by making a tremendous amount of money available to every, every citizen. And consequently, there is a lot of money chasing goods right now. So we do have inflationary pressure. We are seeing some corporations raising rates because they can get away with it. But if you take a look at the earnings of the S&P 500, they are at historic highs. There's no way they're gonna be able to justify or keep their pricing up. So consequently, uh, this is not at all like stagflation. If you'll recall the 1970s, stagflation basically was a result of no growth. Stagflation, because we had no growth, the only way that corporations could show a profit or increase profits or uh, or continue to give pay raises 
was to raise their prices. So you had no growth, but you're raising prices, ergo stagflation. This is not like that at all. We have inflationary pressure because we had a surge in demand for goods and a disruption in the supply chain of goods. Now, I'll tell you one thing that's going to happen here that's really interesting, and I haven't seen anybody talk about it at any length, but there is a lot of work going on to make the supply chain more efficient going forward. I have talked to a couple senior executives at major international companies that are actually duplicating their manufacturing in multiple places and making sure that they have access to material and goods from multiple locations so that this does not happen again. So I do think that uh, I do think that you'll see the price pressures abate. I think they're already starting to abate a little bit. They'll continue through probably through in, uh, to the end of 2023. By 2024, we'll be back to somewhat normal uh, normal inflationary rate. Okay, so transitory defined as a two-year period yeah. or more. <laughs> now, the, the, uh, the Fed, let's say, accelerating their reduction in asset purchases, uh, it really, I think that sends a message that they're willing to change, and that's what they're trying to do here. They're sending a message that they will adjust to the market if they have to. They can raise rates if they need to. Um, I mean, so the Fed is just making a, they're, they're basically with their conversations, they're setting the stage that, that tells everybody that they can and will react if they need to. Uh, do I see rates being increased very rapidly? No, I do not. There is so much money out there. I just do not see rates going up very quickly. That's good to hear. You know, you've emphasized the global economy piece many times over the past decade. Um, you know, the economists, the pundits out there tend to focus on the U.S. economy, and I guess rightfully so. That's where we live. But, you know, all the geopolitical stuff going on right now, I mean, we just had the U.S. announce a diplomatic boycott of China's Winter Olympics. China, you know, obviously reacted in kind to that. So you got some rising tensions here on these human rights issues. Ironically, the last time this happened was back in 1980 when we, we did have that stagflation you talked about, and inflation was a headline. The question is, you know, is there an external uh, foreign or geopolitical issue out there that concerns you in relation to the U.S. economy above and beyond, you know, pandemic, supply chains, what we've been through here? Is there something else out there? I mean, because that can obviously have a huge impact on the economy. The one thing that probably concerns me is if the if we do not get vaccines to the emerging market in any meaningful way in the next year, uh, then the pandemic will continue to wreak havoc on uh, emerging markets. Now, most of the goods, most of the material that goes into the creation of goods comes from emerging markets. And if you shut those emerging markets down and you don't have access to the materials to make goods, uh, you will create a problem economically. Am I worried about political? Not at all. Uh, you know, the idea that the, we're having a diplomatic boycott of the uh, Olympics, I doubt that any uh, diplomats planned on going anyway. So I'm not even sure what that means other than, hey, we, uh, you know, we make a little noise. The other guy makes a little noise. I don't see any real issue there. Uh, Russia invading Ukraine could be a problem. Um, but, you know, I don't see, I think if you really look at the global uh, situation, I'm not too concerned about those things. Okay, good to hear. Now, while we're talking about China, though, you know, we see these headlines pop up about the commercial real estate paper over there, you know, the debt issues. <laughs> <Sorry. right? laughs> so, I mean, is that anything to worry about? I mean, are they going to... Yes, for them it is. Okay. I mean, they've got a huge problem there and there's no way that, I, I, I don't know if it's pronounced Evergrande or Evergrande or yeah. if I say it correctly, 
there's no way they're going to pay that debt back. The, the Chinese government is going to have to step in and help them. And I suspect that they will because the, the alternative is not very attractive to them or anybody else. Uh, they have a tremendous bubble on debt in China. I mean, it's humongous. Corporate debt in China as a percentage of, the, as a percentage of their economy far exceeds what, I mean, it's 50% higher than where we are. So, I mean, it's just absurd. So the government there is going to have to step in and help or they're going to have a real problem. Okay. Will that have any impact here? I mean, is that- I don't think so. Okay. I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about it. China buys a lot of our treasury bills, but I suspect they'll continue to do that. It is a big economy. Uh, They buy about the same amount as Japan. So we'll see what happens, but I don't think it'll impact us. Okay. Good to hear. Now, I uh, want to look in the rearview mirror before we take a look into 2022 and start with the numbers. You know, still a few weeks left here in the year. Um, we're heading into the home stretch. Did 2021 play out how you thought it would? I guess that's a softball question for you there. <laughs> well, it's a softball question. I will tell you in all honesty, no, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it would be a good year, but I did not think we would continue to see uh, home purchases at the rate we've seen them. Uh, and that really goes back to the, the basic reassessment of quality of life. And we've seen this throughout our, our economy and throughout our social structure. This pandemic, uh, one of the positive side effects of this pandemic is people are really looking at the quality of the, their life, how they live, where they live, what they do. Now, we may say, okay, well, that's causing a lot of problems. Well, maybe it is, but you know what? I think it's wonderful to see people really making decisions on based on what's best for them and their family and the quality of their life. So the home purchases this year did ex- exceed my expectations, maybe maybe about 10 or 15% more than I thought. Um, you know, refis continued because rates stayed fairly low. Now we're starting to use up all the available refis, although there's still some out there. Refis will probably be 25 to 30% of all business in our industry next year, but resales in all likelihood will continue at a very high level. And I say that because the lower end of the market still has not been serviced or it had had adequate access to supplies on the lower end. The bulk of the buying, and one of the reasons you see, uh, well, you know how I feel about the Case-Shiller price index, but one of the reasons you see those high year-over-year percentage gains is the tremendous amount of money being spent on high-end homes by people with money. That led the surge. That still disproportionately affects the surge. Uh, but you are going to see home builders start building more and more starter homes. Just to give you an idea, and I, I may be a little bit off on my numbers, but as I recall, in 1980, about 40% of all new construction was starter homes. In 2017, it was down to 7%. So we have a lot of upside in terms of building homes, uh, starter homes on the lower end for people for their initial home. And I think you're gonna see that happen because the demand is there. And I think that will create a more even and more healthy uh, real estate market. Yeah, you sort of answered that next question I had for you in that question in that, you know, that great migration as we call it from high cost centers inland uh, or south to lower cost markets. Does that continue? I mean, are, are we kind of, are we at the end of that? I mean, where, where are we at? I guess if that's a baseball game, what inning are we in? Are people still going to continue moving? I think you'll still see some people moving. I think the, uh, the people that really were motivated to move or felt, felt compelled to move, uh, there was a surge. Uh, that surge is abated a little bit, but you'll still see people moving. You'll see people moving to suburbs. You'll see people moving to smaller cities. 
Um, but then you will see if you see a meaningful increase in starter homes in big urban areas, then you'll you'll see people continue to stay there. So it's going to be more about where you live, the quality of how you live and what kind of job you have. Now, looking ahead to 2022, uh, is it just a continuation of of 21 or I mean, at what point do we run out of homes to refi? I mean, you know, <laughs> rates go up a little bit. What is well? What is, I you know, I'm 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 planning uh, for our purposes at, at WFG. We're looking at refinances, maybe being twenty to thirty percent of all premium dollars next year. Maybe a little higher than that, but it's going to be down in that range. Uh, we're going to see purchases very similar to what they were this year. Fannie is saying 12 months out, you're going to have mortgage rates at 3.4%. So I don't think anybody expect mortgage rates to go up very much. You know, if it continues, I'll be honest with you, if we continue to see, continue to have a lot of inflationary pressure all the way through next year, it will start creating more upward pressure on interest rates. But uh, my gut is it's going to taper and start gradually declining. And so interest rates won't go up very much. I'm pretty optimistic about next year being a good year. I want to talk about inventory, too. I mean, you mentioned uh, new homes at lower price points coming on, you know, with rates still historically low, demand continuing. It doesn't sound like, you know, I mean, prices and appreciation are going to be any different than they were this year. I mean, in affordability, at what point do we get to a point where it continues to creep up and salaries don't and it just kind of tops out? Is that a you know, well, potential you know, next year? Brian, let's back up a little bit. You know, one of the problems I have when people talk about uh, home price appreciation is they look at the Case-Shiller Index and apply it like it's uniformly applied across the board, coast to coast and by all, uh, all price ranges. It is not. I mean, let's be real honest with you here. The, 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 the actual price increase percentage varies greatly by the cost of the home. Higher end homes have gone up percentage wise much, much faster and much more significantly than lower cost homes. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the median price, well, the median price has gone, well, yeah. I mean, if you actually wanted to sit down and figure out how many homes above a million dollars are sold last year compared to the year before, it's probably 50% more. I mean, it is astronomically more higher end homes. So, do I see home price increases continuing? Yes, but in proportion to affordability. You know, one of the things about the real estate market, it isn't it doesn't just stop because people price things out of range. They lower the price or adjust the price to sell the home, uh, especially if they want to move themselves to another home. So I have confidence that the price adjustments will be proportionate to demand and affordability. And I, I don't think we're going to get in a situation where prices are so high, there's no sales. That isn't going to happen. Well, that's good news. We touched on interest rates earlier. If you had to pick, like, say, end of the year, a year from now, where will the 30-year fix be? What would, your, what would you say or what would you guess it would be? Uh, 3.6. Really? Yeah. Okay. Not even to four, huh? No, I'm, I'm, uh, I am I'm think you're going to see, uh, you know, I, obviously, there are so many variables here that it's really hard to make an intelligent guess. And it all also very much applies or very much depends on seeing a decline in mortality around the pandemic. So if we get a decline in mortality around the pandemic, a continuation of the move towards normalcy, then I am very confident that you're going to see the inflationary pressure abate gradually and you're going to see less upward pressure on mortgage rates. Now, 
if things don't happen that way, it could be a problem. But uh, I am optimistic that we'll see it that way. That's good to hear you're optimistic. I mean, you've been around the block a couple of times. So is there anything that we... Are you we... calling me old, Brian? <laughs> no, I'm calling you experienced. <laughs> you're very experienced. <laughs> um, anything we didn't talk about here, anything that, you know, is in the blind spot or that, you know, might uh, be a concern or something to look forward to? Well, I'm still a little bit concerned about we keep kicking the can down the road on uh, funding the, the federal government, and uh, we will uh, continue to have to revisit that issue. We're going to revisit it again in January. Um, I do worry about the lack of, uh, you know, uh, the passing of Bob Dole was sad because uh, while I'm a little bit more liberal than Bob Dole, I respected, respected him greatly, and I thought he epitomized the essential value of the Republican Party. And I was sorry to see him pass, obviously, because he made a great contribution to our society, to our country. And I kind of wish there were more people like him out there, both on both sides of the aisle. The ability to get things done is very limited right now. We've become very polarized. That worries me. And you see it manifest itself because we're unable to get a, a, a federal funding bill that means anything on a permanent basis. So we got to get that fixed. I mean, that is a problem. And, and until we get uh, until, until we get over this hurdle, uh, you know, I worry a little bit about it. All right. Well, it looks like we have plenty to look forward to in the year ahead. Patrick, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone for joining us. And thank you for partnering with WFG. 